0: What an exciting time it is for these graduates. Those of you who have reached this milestone, do you remember back to when you graduated high school what life was like? What was going on in the world? What car did you drive? What clothes did you wear? Some of you in the room would even say that the world was a better place then. What are the things that you would say defined your generation? What were you known for? As our generations expand and become larger and people are living longer, there is much to be said about one generation to the next, and rightfully so. As I look out among the crowd here this morning, I would say we have approximately six generations among us, beginning with the silent generation, those born between 1928 and 1945. The generation's silent behavior has been attributed to the difficult times in which they were born. The oldest member of this generation were born at at or near the beginning of the Great Depression. They were children during World War II. The silent generation began life in some of the most difficult conditions, including again the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, economic and political uncertainty. The circumstances surrounding their upbringing led many in this generation to adopt cautious behavior. They are known to be thrifty, respectful, loyal, and determined. Up next, we have the boomers, the baby boomer generation, those who were born anywhere from 1946 to 1964. They were born following the World War II, and boomers, you were the largest generation group in the United States until the more recent years. The characteristic boomers are known for are their value of relationships, they are goal-centered, self-assured, reliable, and resourceful. Boomers watch friends and family about the same age as our graduates today be sent off to the Vietnam War, many of them to never return. They lived in a time of uproar in America, as Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, and was arrested. This event shaped the next decade in the progress of the civil rights movement that the Boomers were a part of. They remember the Cold War. They remember the intense waiting, believing that a nuclear war could happen at any moment. Most can remember the time and place they were when JFK was assassinated. Up next, Gen X, or yes, Gen X, that's me. I'm dating myself here. Born between the years of 1965 and 1980, this generation belongs to an exclusive group with only about 65 million Gen Xers around, compared to 75 million Boomers and 83 Millennials, according to data from the Census Bureau. Gen X is often described as the the forgotten generation. Gen Xers grew up in a time when there were more dual-income families, single-parent households, and children of divorce than other previous generations. Consequently, many Gen Xers were what were known as latchkey kids, spending the part of the day without adult supervision, and when they got home from school, their parents were still away at work. Their lives in adolescence were shaped by events such as the Challenger disaster, the Gulf War, and the Oklahoma City bombing. They are known to be resourceful, independent and, keep and keen on maintaining a work-life balance. And oh, millennials, there is so much to be said about you, and the world loves to talk about our millennials. Millennials is anyone be- born between the period from approximately 1977 to 1995. It was during the millennials' childhood and teenage years that technology advancements revolutionized the world we live in and shaped who they are. They also remember 9-11, and many were affected by the economic recession of 2008. Millennials are generally split into two groups, the millennial divide. The first would be the entitled or participation award generation, and the second group are the ones who are completely offended by that title. (laughs) Millennials are the largest and most educated generation in history and they are good at accepting change. They are curious, and they value teamwork. And then there is Gen Z, and that is our graduating class of today. This class, diversity is their normal. Gen Z states that they don't want to end up like millennials. They are the first digital natives. Many of Gen Z's do not remember life before technology, and basically their entire world revolves around it. Gen Z is already the most influential group um, in, in the workforce in um, the glimpse into the future of communication, banking, shopping, learning, voting, working, investing, and much more. They tend to be politically progressive and involved at a very young age. They have been and still are being shaped by the coronavirus pandemic. And last but not least, our Generation Alpha Kids in Generation Alpha are the first to be born entirely within the 21st century. They're immersed in technology and described by by diversity in key areas, including their race, their ethnicity, family structure, and family finance. They are also the first generation to experience an early childhood defined by the coronavirus pandemic. While this is a very broad flyover view of insights into each generation, what we know about each of them for certain is that what we can remember is the people, the moments, the politics that define each one, those that are part of our own unique generation. And we can do the same when we look at the movement that has occurred within the church and how it's changed throughout each generation. No matter which one you identify with, They all generally have something to say about the one before them and the one after. We tend to blame the one before for where our world is now, and we tend to blame the one after us for where the world is going. If I were to invite a, somebody from the silent generation or a boomer onto the platform with me today and give them a microphone, they could tell us their lived experience about how the church, how families, how life has changed, as well as all the ways the values have changed over the last generations. So what do these shifting generations mean for the future of our church? From a purely mathematical standpoint, The church has reason to be concerned about reaching the next generation. The most recent numbers say about 44.4% of Gen Z, our current generation, spiritually characterize themselves as nuns. No, I don't mean N-U-N-S, I mean N-O-N-E-S, meaning that they are either atheist or agnostic, but by large they don't claim any label at all in today's world. They are statistic- there are statistically more Gen Z's, nuns, that would claim nothing, than there are more Gen Z Christians, according to Relevant Magazine. So, if I look at just the numbers, it can be super discouraging to see this. But stay with me, because I have good news, and I hope that it will be as encouraging for all of you here today as it is for me. You see, I get the extreme privilege of spending time sharing struggles and celebrating victories and being present in the life of our teenagers here at Countryside Covenant Church. And I have a much different perspective than what these numbers reflect, and an assurance that God is, in fact, at work and doing amazing things in the hearts and lives of our current generation. As we started our school year this past year in student ministry, we did a series called Live Different. As Christ followers, we are called to live and look different than the world. I challenge them to live out their faith, genuinely and authentically, and live into the places where God was calling them. To root their purpose, their identity, and their belonging in a kingdom mindset to not get caught up in how the world would want to define them, but that how God defines them. So, what is it for any of us from any generation that keeps us from living into the faith that we are called to live into? Is it lack of knowledge, not feeling equipped, not enough experience? Is it where we come from? Is it the mistakes that we've made? Is it that we view it as something we will do in the future when we get things in order? Whatever it is, you get to fill in that blank. Disappointingly, we are all without excuse. You see, there are too many examples of throughout Scripture of God using the old. He uses the young. He uses the poor. He uses broken people throughout his King to, throughout his scripture to do kingdom work so that we are beyond excuse to get stuck in anything that would cause us to not live out our faith in Christ no matter where we are at in our journey as we say at my house if you need an excuse any of them will do so at this time I invite you to turn to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 9 and 10 if you have your bibles if not we have it on the screen for you and the teacher writes, You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy for days in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. The teacher writes that you who are young be happy. So as we begin in verse 9, it seems as though this teacher is an advocate for the youth culture, promoting this idea that if you are young, you should be happy-go-lucky and do what your heart desires, whatever you set your eyes on. And if you only read the first half of this verse, we would agree that it aligns perfectly with how the world would pursue happiness. Just follow your heart and feelings and things will just work out and you will be happy and satisfied. If it feels good, it must be true for me. And right. But as we read into the last half, the proper caution is added. While it does say young should enjoy their youth, God also warns that he will bring you into judgment. You see, we have this idea in culture that youth is the time to chase the wind, sow your oats, get it out of your system type of mentality. But this kind of attitude can lead us down a path of destruction with a great fallout if we're following the patterns of this world. When we think about what it means to be young, it's not just a number. It's speaking into this prime of life. You all have this potential and experience just in front of you, assumably many years ahead. So what is this trying to tell us exactly? Youth, it is an amazing time in your life. Enjoy the moment you are in right now, this time that you are given right where you are at. You have energy, you are daring and filled with vision of the future, but don't wish this way, this time away too fast, dreaming of that future. Enjoy the time here and now. This is the time. Fulfill the desires of your heart and do the things that God brings you, that, that will bring you joy. But this doesn't mean to do it without reverence to the Lord. While God wants us to be happy, he also calls us into holiness. We are called to honor him with our daily choices and our lifestyle. There is a right and a wrong, and when something is wrong or just stupid, God doesn't want us to go there, even if it makes us happy. And here is where that warning comes in. God wants us to be happy, but not when it's based on things of this world. 1 John verse, or chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them, for everything... In the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. While our youth is a time of learning and discerning and making mistakes, it is also a perfect time in your life to be used to bring the glory of God for the kingdom, and this maturity is a lifelong process. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 affirms this by saying, "Do not look down, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity." The Bible is full of examples of how God uses the younger generation in some of the most vital roles throughout the story in scripture that um, his, um, his unfolding um, plan of redemption. We have Joseph in the Old Testament who was rejected by his brothers, sold to Potiphar, seduced by this man's wife, and yet Joseph rejected all this temptation. A young man, a teenager, in a strange land, separated from his family and anything familiar to him, and yet he stays faithful to God. Because of Joseph's faithfulness, God's divine plan resulted in the incarnation of Christ. God used a teenager to accomplish this. And then we have David, who began to be used by God at a very young age and eventually becomes king. And while he did make one of the most scandalous mistakes in the Bible, God continued to use him because David is known to be a man after God's own heart. Even in his shortcomings, his impulsive decisions, he still still desired to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah, known as one of the world's youngest kings, begins his reign at age 8 when his father was assassinated. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, introduces him by saying, "...and he did what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left." Josiah went on to restore the observance of the Passover, preparing a nation for the Savior's arrival. We have the beloved faithful Mary, mother of Jesus, just a teenager when she was called to give birth to the Savior of the world. There's Timothy, Paul's young friend who was chosen to assist the congregation in Philippi and went on to join Paul, preaching and teaching to the early churches. You are young, but you are capable of courageous faith and considerable usefulness in heaven's cause. As we move ahead through this through this passage and move into verse ten, it says, "Banish from your heart, so then banish anxiety from your heart, and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless." This scripture tells us not to be anxious about anything, but we know those days will come, and we are called to keep our focus on Jesus. This goes on to say again, cast off your troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Don't focus on the things of the flesh that leave us lusting over what this world has to offer for temporary happiness. This is an instruction to get rid of the things that cause sorrow in our life, in the urges and the de- desires that will trip us up and produce grief and sorrow later. And if we continue in the book of Ecclesiastes, we will, um, into chapter 12, it says, verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Seek God early in life, and it will be so much better. Use this youthful energy and ambition in His service in doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. You see, all of us are without excuse because God, because God doesn't look at where we came from, our own abilities, whether we've had the right experience. He calls us to rely on him and bring forth the kingdom here and now. I asked a few students the question, what does it mean to be the church right now? And one of the students replied, and she said, I think of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse Fifteen, it means being prepared to give the reason why you have decided to put your hope in Jesus and not the world. Coming together to encourage one another in faith, to build up the body of Christ, to be united in faith so that we become mature believers and support one another. It means letting all people know that they are created in the image of God so that they can rest in knowing who they belong to and who they are in Jesus. Another student replied, and she said, I think of Ephesians 2 verse 19, as the Apostle Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household. This is what I think of when I think of being in today's church. It is more than just a building you go to on Sundays or a group you hang out with on Wednesday night. The church is your family. Anywhere you go, you will always be a child of God and brothers and sisters through Christ. This is pretty cool to think about as I go off to college. We will always have God's people that we can call family. Church, If that isn't God's promise that he is in fact at work in the lives and hearts of this current generation and those to come, I don't know what is. This world does not get to define what is said about this amazing generation and those to come and the future of this church. God gets to define that. We look out among our students and onto the stage and we see them serving at the doors and we see them worshiping God. We have an amazing generation rising up to love and serve our Lord. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Class of 2022, you are not only the church of the future, you are the church of right now. You know the issues of the world today. You know the belief and the lack thereof right now. This class has had only one normal year of high school, just one, their freshman year. You don't need to wait. As a a disciple of Christ, you are called to bring forth God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and the time is right now. You will have great challenges yet to come. You will have many more disappointments, but they won't be anything you can't handle you have made it through a pandemic in a country that arguably has become so polarized and more divided than we have ever seen since the civil war in this country you are called you are equipped and you are ready to do the work right now this is your world you are the voice of the church today leading into the next generation so go delight in your youth chase your dreams keeping christ in the center of it all Use your voice to make your impact that the world can look back and see the good work that you have done to love and serve the Lord. The life that God wants from you starts now. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I do just again thank you for this amazing generation rising up. God, I thank you that you are a good and loving God whose promises hold true through all generations I thank you that you use broken people, you use perfect people, you use wise people, you use old and young, God, to bring your kingdom forth. So may we go from this place today encouraged, God, that it is not about our own abilities, but by heeding your call and leaning into that, God, that we will leave this place without excuse to go and love and serve the world as you have called us to do. Amen.